Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Hemlock Podcast. If you are watching the video version of the podcast, you know that this is already not the way I normally start episodes, uh, especially not episodes like this, where I have Maxime Bernier uh, jumping in to share his thoughts, and I'm incredibly excited to get to that, but I wanted to take a couple of moments really quickly to address what's going on in British Columbia right now, uh, BC, the province I live in. Especially since Maxime Bernier is um, one of the only political leaders in Canada um, willing to speak out against vaccine passports and is openly against them. Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, has kind of waffled back and forth, hasn't said anything about what's going on in BC. This was just announced two days ago. Um, this will come out August 25th, and these were announced August 23rd. So basically, here's what they mean. Vaccine passports in BC. If you do not have the COVID-19 vaccine in British Columbia, as of September 13th or October 24th, I think it's October 24th, this is the final deadline. Um, if you are not fully vaccinated in BC by seven days before October 24th, you are no longer allowed to go to, and I'll just read them off the website, uh, indoor ticketed sporting events, indoor and outdoor dining in restaurants, pubs, bars, if you know the stats, you know how much not allowing outdoor dining uh, for the unvaccinated even makes, that doesn't make any sense. Um, indoor ticketed concerts, theater, dance, symphony, sporting events, nightclubs, casinos, movie theaters, gyms, pools, recreation facilities, indoor high intensity group exercise. There's a couple others, but those are kind of the main ones. Um, <clears throat> this is a massive breach of our rights. Um, there are people online saying oh, going to all those places is is a privilege, not a right. Um, would you say the same thing if they told business owners they weren't allowed to let black folks into their businesses? No, I don't think you'd be saying the same thing. Oh, but yeah, but being black isn't a choice. Uh, being vaccinated is. Not always. Not always. There's a million reasons um, legitimate or not, that you or I are not smart enough to think of. Um, getting a vaccine is a very personal medical choice, and these are absolutely coercion, these new rules. Um, they're absolutely a violation of medical autonomy, freedom of mobility, informed consent. They violate all those. Um, and I just want to go through some stats really quick. Like I said, I want to keep this really short because I want to get to the interview with Maxine as soon as possible, but... <clears throat> the moment at which Bonnie Henry and John Horgan and whoever else is involved with this gong show uh, chose to institute something like a vaccine passport um, doesn't make any sense to me, and I'm going to share why. If you disagree, feel free to disagree. Feel free to comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But when they announced the vaccine passports, um, there were 130 people in the hospital with COVID. There were about 60 in critical care. Um, since the entire pandemic started in British Columbia, we've had 1,801 deaths, about 1,800 deaths from COVID. We're a province of 5.1 million people. 1,800 deaths in 18 months in a province of 5.1 million people. And I just want to let, I want you to think about that for a second because that gives me a moment of pause and it should give all of us a moment of pause when we look at how drastic these measures are, things like a vaccine passport. For some further context, 
Look at a comparison between cases and deaths in BC. If you look at the graphs, you'll see distinct first, second, and third waves in any graph of the cases in British Columbia. But if you look at a graph of the deaths, the third wave is mysteriously missing. Why could that be, right? Um, what possible reason could there be to not have a third wave of deaths? Nothing to do, I'm sure, with the fact that COVID in BC has a median age of death of 84. And if you didn't realize, the median age of death, just in general, the life expectancy in BC is 82. Food for thought. Um, so it couldn't possibly be that it's only young people who aren't at risk from COVID that are getting it now. And that's why there's only about 130 hospitalized province-wide. That couldn't be the reason, right? Not to mention that little graph of deaths uh, isn't even on the official BC COVID dashboard. It's conveniently missing. Why would that be, right? Because <laughs> right now, case numbers, we go, oh, the Okanagan which is party central, uh, the Okanagan has 600 cases a day or whatever they use to, to fear monger. The deaths don't match that spike. Why would they exclude the death totals then from the official dashboard? Because case numbers right now can cause the fear they need to control. The death numbers no longer serve that purpose. Like I said, there have been 1,801 deaths in 18 months in this province. Some further context, and I know these aren't communicable diseases, they're not contagious diseases, but I just want to give some context for this whole thing. 1,800 deaths in 18 months, 1,728 people have died from illicit drug toxicity uh, in 2020, which is a period six months shorter than the 18-month pandemic we've had so far. Cancer kills 10,000 people a year in British Columbia. In 2020 and 2021, Death rates haven't budged. They're the same as they always have been. You would expect in the face of a novel pandemic, a novel coronavirus that's terribly deadly, you would see a spike in deaths and in the death rate year over year in British Columbia. Simply hasn't happened. We have the same amount of deaths as we always have in BC and they haven't bumped up for both 2020 or 2021 so far. Why is that? So what I'd like to say is make your own decisions but respect those who choose differently. Because right now we're living in a bureaucrat and media driven state of fear. And it's horrific to me. One of the scariest stats, one of the scariest COVID stats for me is that 79% of British Columbians support these vaccine passports. So I know I'm in the unpopular minority maybe. Um, according to this study, 79% of people in this province support the total breach of bodily autonomy, freedom of mobility, lack of informed consent in the form of vaccine passports. Liberty is on life support in this province. And when you dig into the data, this isn't a disease worth fearing if you're under 60, 70 even, because Median age of death is 84, right? I think there's only been one death in a year and a half under the age of 29. And of course, every time I talk about a death from COVID, they're all tragic. All death is tragic. I understand that. But when you're talking about stripping the rights of small business owners uh, to not have to discriminate against what kind of customers walk through their door, um, 
We're talking about stripping the rights of people to go to restaurants, to go to gyms, which is, you're talking about a public health crisis and you're limiting the unvaccinated's ability to go to a gym. Which, tell me how that makes sense. But here's the thing, if the vaccines are effective, and I'm, I'm actually one to, I believe vaccines are effective. Right. I've all I've always been pro vaccine, even with the COVID vaccine. I'm like, sure, go, like, go get it if you feel you want to. It's a personal decision. You want to go with the vaccine, go get the vaccine if you believe they're effective. And I believe they are. Uh, and almost four fifths of this province has both doses. Right. As of today, about three point eight million. We're a province of five point one million. Remember, three point eight million have the first dose and three point five million have the second dose. So almost four fifths of this province almost four-fifths of this province have both doses. Why is there still enough fear, 79% of this province, why is there enough fear to allow our leaders this kind of tyrannical overreach? How does that logic make sense? If the vaccines work and you have the vaccine, you're not at risk from this. If you have the vaccine, you're hypothetically safe from COVID. So why does so much of our province when about the same number of people that support vaccine passports also are vaccinated. Why is there support for that kind of curtailing of the rights of so much of our province? Tell me how that logic makes sense, please. Um, because I love this province. I really do. I love the people in this province. But we have grown too entitled to our liberty. Because don't kid yourself. Today, they're coming for the unvaxxed. Tomorrow... They're coming for you. For some other equally unjustifiable reason. So I hope you'll stand for the freedom of people to make their own decisions before it's too late. I hope you'll have the moral fortitude, vaccinated or not, to realize this is an incredible breach of rights and freedoms by the provincial government. I hope you'll support businesses who are willing to stand up against this type of nonsense. And I'll put resources down below. There's a bunch of businesses rallying together right now who are refusing to discriminate against their customers um, based on their decision to get vaccinated against a disease with a 99.9% .9 plus survival rate. Look at the pandemics of the past. This is not a real pandemic. I'm not saying COVID is not real. I'm saying if we measure this against actual pandemics, one third history, people of the past wouldn't have called the disease with a 99.9% .9 survival rate a pandemic. They would call it a flu. For children, the actual flu is more dangerous than COVID. And feel free to look that up. I'm sure I'll put <laughs> the source in the description as always. But I hope you make the right choice. Whether you're vaccinated or not, I hope you decide to stand for freedom. I hope you have the fortitude to stand up for people who make different decisions than you and have the courage to look into the actual data, not just tacitly accept what you've been fed from media and politicians because we desperately need people who can think for themselves. We need people who are awake and aware of what governments are doing. This is completely unnecessary. It's completely a breach of our rights or privileges or however you want to frame it. And I, for one, am not going to stand for it. I don't care to make this about me or whether or not I'm vaccinated. I'd stand for this either way.
because this is not the kind of society I want to live in. This shouldn't happen in a Western liberal democracy. And I, for one, am going to fight this nonsense and I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll share this. I appreciate all the support. I appreciate how many people are already speaking out against this on social media. I love you. I appreciate you. I admire your courage. And uh, without further ado, Maxime Bernier, this is a great interview. I hope you enjoy. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, mesdames et messieurs, welcome back to the Hemlock Podcast. Um, I'm going to pronounce my name the French way today uh, because of the guests we have. Uh, my name is Patrick Jolicoeur and I'm honored to have Mr. Maxime Bernier on the show today. Uh, so Mr. Bernier, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be with you. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. So for those of you who don't know, Maxime Bernier is the leader and founder of the People's Party of Canada uh, after having left the Conservative Party in 2018. Uh, he represents what I think is one of the most unique voices in Canadian politics today, uh, speaking to issues that are super relevant in Canada, in the US, uh, and across the Western world, I think. Um, so before we jump in, as always, thank you so much for watching. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff, and consider helping us out um, supporting the podcast. Go to hemlockpodcast.com. You can sign up for memberships there. You can support. You can buy some merch. We have the new base water bottles. Uh, those, those are out with memberships, and we have some t-shirts as well. So check those out. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and uh, share with friends. That's huge. Sharing the friends is huge. Um, we have a very special guest, and today's going to be a fun episode to share. So I'm very excited to get into it. And uh, with no further ado, Mr. Bernier, let's uh, let's jump in. Yes. yes. So uh, I'd love to hear a little more of your personal story. Um, so I know your father was also in politics. Um, was it he that inspired you to be a politician? How did you end up on the conservative side of things eventually? I must admit that I was always uh, a conservative. Uh, before uh, forming the People's Party of Canada, as you know. So you're right by saying that uh, my dad was uh, uh, a conservative under Brian Moroney. Uh, he did run uh, for Brian Moroney in 1984, uh, was elected in uh, the writing of both, and after that in 1988, and after that in 1993. So, and uh, for me, you know, I worked in the private sector for... 19, 19 years uh, in Montreal in the financial sector. And um, I jumped into politics in uh, 2006. And um, I was at that time 43 years old. I decided to uh, fight for what I believe. I went into politics to fight for a smaller government in Ottawa, more freedom, more prosperity. And um, I really enjoyed when I was industry minister I was successful to do a, a, a comprehensive deregulation of the telecom industry. Prices went down and that, that was a big success. And I had different uh, portfolio, as you know. And in 2017, I decided, 2016, sorry, I decided to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. And <clears throat> the election was in spring 2017. Um, I didn't win with 49% of the vote. And uh, after that, I tried to influence the establishment of the Conservative Party of Canada and the leader at that time, Andrew Scheer. 
to uh, take, I, I asked them to take some of our ideas. They were very popular. And um, Andrew Scheer told me, uh, no, that uh, he won't take any of uh, our ideas. And uh, what uh, I presented to the membership of the Conservative Party of Canada. And he said, uh, Maxime, uh, when you're speaking publicly, you're speaking for yourself. You don't represent the Conservative Party anymore. And that's why uh, I, in 2018, I um, quit. I said, I did a press conference and I said that uh, the Conservative Party of Canada is intellectually and morally corrupt. And I was right. Now, you know, the only goal is to be in government, to, to have uh, the power. And um, they don't fight for conservative ideas. Um, so, so I think it was the best decision, the best uh, political decision that I took when uh, I decided to uh, create the People's Party of Canada. And as you know, now we will be in our second election and this party will be ready. We, uh, we may, uh, I'm sure that we will do very well. So that will surprise a lot of uh, mainstream media. I'm traveling across the country and meeting our people and we have a good momentum and a good support. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, so you touched on a couple of things. This is actually, I have a question from one of our All Access members. Um, this is from Matt and I think it reflects kind of a lot of the frustrations that conservatives have in Canada. Um, is that we've had a lot of frustrations with the conservative, the official conservative party of Canada. Um, like you said, we've had frustrations with, with uh, intellectual and moral corruption. Um, there are a lot of conservatives that prefer you to those alleged conservatives, right? Um, but they're a little worried that they're like splitting the conservative vote, um, that kind of thing. Uh, so what do you do to plan, like what do you plan, um, how do you plan to win seats in the coming election? Uh, or is it just about getting into debate stage? Um, and why, what would you say to those who would vote for you on principle, but are worried about splitting the conservative vote? I must admit that that argument was uh, very efficient at the national election in 2019. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of people that were telling me at that time, Maxime, I like your platform. I like what you're saying. Yes, you are real conservative, but you know, I want to get rid of Justin Trudeau and I don't want to split the vote. So I will vote for Andrew Scheer and the Conservative Party of Canada. And uh, in the end, they, they had, and we have Justin Trudeau as a prime minister. And so when I'm traveling now, what people are telling me, and some people are coming to me and <clears throat> they, they told me, Maxime, I'm sorry, I didn't vote for you at the last time. Uh, and I wanted to get rid of Trudeau. Uh, I voted conservative, but this time I will vote for you. And um, I asked why. And they said, you know, because we know that Aaron O'Toole won't win. We don't want to waste our mm -hmm. vote. And we are ready to vote for what we believe to vote for a real conservative party in this country and, um, and to vote for our values. So this time, I don't believe that this argument would be as efficient. Uh, and we are able to attract uh, former conservatives that know that the Conservative Party of Canada today is uh, a liberal, it is like the Liberal Party. Uh, I'll call them the LibCon. Uh, they have the same policies on that can go on and go on, uh, climate change, immigration, extreme multiculturalism, COVID-19, uh, therefore lockdowns, therefore vaccine passport. So, so that would be a, a very interesting campaign because uh, we, the People's Party, will be there on one side, the side of the people, 
and all the other establishment political parties that uh, are fighting for more government and more spending and more restriction on our day-to-day life. So, so, and I believe also that we can attract uh, uh, former NDP or, or liberal that are looking at our country right now and they know that we're not going in the right direction. Uh, it is like a, a totalitarian country. It is like a communist country with all these uh, COVID-19 draconian uh, measures uh, in every province. We must stop that. And the Conservative Party of Canada won't do anything for that. So yeah. some real uh, classical liberal uh, are coming with us. And actually, as you know, there's about 30% of the population that don't vote at each election. So I believe that these people looking at uh, where the country is going with more socialism uh, and, uh, and more uh, censorship, uh, I believe that these people may uh, come to vote this time. So answering your question, I'm pretty confident that uh, we will be able to uh, grow our support all across the country. And uh, I believe that we'll be able to elect some of our candidates. Uh, the most important for us as a new political party is to grow our support. And uh, from 1.6%, I believe that we can have four, five, six percent I don't know, with a couple of our uh, candidates elected. So that's the most important. We, uh, we need, I'm telling people when I'm, when I'm traveling across the country, I'm telling them, you need our voice and I need your vote. Uh, we need to uh, have a voice in Ottawa, the freedom voice, and we will be the only voice there. So uh, I'm ready and I'm looking forward for that uh, campaign. And I can tell you that every Canadian will have an opportunity to vote for what they believe, to vote for the PPC, because we will have a candidate in every riding of this country. Excellent. Yeah, it's great to hear. It's great to hear. I know my wife and I were at the town hall session you put uh, locally here. And um, and you mentioned one of the key strategies you have is, I guess, conservatives are very often accused of not engaging very well in the culture war. And so a key part of your strategy you mentioned is just getting to having enough support to get to the debate stage so that we do have a voice for a liberty minded freedom voice in, in Ottawa. So tell me a little more about that. Yeah, the only condition for us as a new party to be on the stage and debating against these other uh, elite establishment leaders is for the People's Party of Canada to have on average uh, 4% in the polls. So that's the condition that the debate commissions uh, uh, said a month ago. So right now, if you do some, we don't do any polling. We don't spend money for that, but I'm looking at public polls. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that uh, in some, we are at 3%, in other at 6%. And I believe that we'll be able to grow and have that average uh, 4% in the polls uh, just before the election. And that will be the ticket for me uh, to be back on stage and I think that would be important because we are uh, we are the only other option, a different option. All the other political parties are all the same on the most important issues for this country. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for supporting the Hamlock Podcast by listening to it. One of the other ways you can support us is by supporting our partners and affiliates. So this week we have Good Food. They are by far the favorite meal delivery service of my wife and I. You get casual, fine dining quality food showing up to your door week after week. It's delicious. For me, I hate 
like planning recipes and shopping for stuff, but I actually love cooking. So this takes out all the parts I don't like about cooking and just leaves the one I do, which is cooking the food with my wife. This week we have beef and shiitake burgers, creamy skillet lasagna with burst cherry tomatoes, and my personal favorite, herbe de Provence chicken and roasted vegetables with creamy chervil shallot vinaigrette. I'm so pumped for that one. Every week, delicious meals delivered right to your door. Get some good food in you and uh, save 40 bucks on your first box of good food. Click the link in the description to get your discount. Cheers. Moving on to the next question. Uh, there's, you've had familiarity with cancel culture, I'm sure yourself. Um, there's an incredible amount of fear these days to be honest about your opinions, especially conservatives. They're not viewed as very popular or mainstream opinions these days. Um, there's actually a Cato Institute survey that just came out recently that says that 62% of Americans um, have political opinions that they're scared to share publicly. Um, and uh, I'm sure it's the same in Canada, maybe worse. <laughs> um, but what are your thoughts on the state of free speech in Canada? Um, and I mean specifically with Bill C-10 and C-36. Um, and how can Canadians be encouraged to stand up for their beliefs and not be afraid to speak? Yes, uh, I'm, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm concerned about all these uh, two bills. Uh, first of all, uh, I must admit that they are not in force right now, but the Trudeau government tabled these uh, bills just before the end of the session to be sure to show to Canadians that if they win a majority or a minority, uh, that that's their program, these uh, two bills will be in force. So it's a, it's a censorship. We have right now censorship coming from the big techs. We must uh, abolish that. We must, uh, we are a free country. And you know, it's not normal that the former uh, uh, president of United, United States cannot be on Twitter and Facebook. That's mm. censorship. That's you may crazy. not like what he's saying or not, but he is not a terrorist. He must have the right to be there. And, and I, can, I can feel that uh, censorship by the big techs here in Canada. Uh, against a conservative uh, point of view. And there are still actual terrorists on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what we must, what, what these two bills, uh, Trudeau is using an excuse, is using hate speech uh, and hate crimes as an excuse to bring these uh, two bills because uh, they, <clears throat> he will uh, write a new definition of hate speech we have a definition of hate speech in the criminal code. We don't know. We don't need a, no, a new definition, and is giving uh, authority and, and responsibility to a new department in Ottawa with bureaucrats that will be able, if uh, you know, you're insulting somebody on Twitter or Facebook, and that person does not like that, that person will be able to uh, complain. Uh, uh, through these uh, bureaucrats in Ottawa and, and, uh, and say, you know, this is hate speech. And with their new definition, that may be hate speech and you'll be censored. So that's not uh, what must uh, be a democratic country. And, and you know, freedom and, and freedom of speech is the basis of our charter of rights. And we must fight now for our, our rights in this country. So and actually, if you look at the data and the statistic coming from Statistic Canada, less than 1% of all the crimes in this country are related to hate speech. Wow. And 65% of them are graffiti on the wall. So they're non-violent crimes. 
So that being said, it's an, only an excuse to, uh, to censor us on social media. And the position of the People's Party of Canada is always for, would be, is and uh, always been and will always be for uh, freedom. Actually, freedom, personal responsibility, respect and fairness are our four uh, principles uh, that are very important. And we are doing politics uh, following these uh, principles. So yes, we will fight against that. And my, my goal is to, a lot of Canadians don't know uh, the impact of these two bills. And I will speak about it during this campaign. And I hope we'll have more and more support, uh, supporting free speech and, and our, our rights in this country. How do you think Canadians can best be encouraged to like use their free speech? People who are scared of maybe they're conservative, they're scared of speaking up at work or at school. Or um, how do we encourage Canadians to to be bold? Yeah, you know we we must have the courage or our conviction, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know we may be a, a a minority right now fighting for freedom, but I know that the silent majority. Uh, is looking at us. They are looking at us. And uh, and the more we are, the more that will give them courage to speak, to stand up and speak out uh, for their values. That's what I'm saying when I'm uh, meeting people across the country. Help me to help you. So if you can uh, speak to 10 of your friends, that would be more people that will uh, fight. And, And I'm asking them to be active on social media but not only on social media, they must be active also uh, in the real life and by engaging and speaking with people, they must not be afraid to speak about their values. So what is the goal if you believe in the best uh, uh, values and ideas in freedom and if you, if you don't do anything about that? You know, mm-hmm. uh, What is the goal of embracing the, 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 the freedom ideas is if you keep uh, these ideas for yourself. So we must fight, and I think people uh, understand that. I believe that more and more people will come on our side and they will have the courage to speak about uh, what they believe and the, 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 the vision of their country. We have a vision of a, a country that it would be uh, with a smarter government in Ottawa, will have more freedom and more prosperity. But right now we must admit that we are in a socialist era and we must stand up and speak to our fellow Canadians. And I believe that, you know, after fear, they will, they will, you know, because that was a very important factor for the last year about COVID-19. But if we have the data on that, we have the statistic, if you're under 70 years old, your chances of surviving from uh, if you have COVID-19 is 99.95%. So uh, people must not be scared at that virus. Uh, so, and, and more and more people understand that. And I believe that uh, reason will prevail. Yeah, I agree. And I say that as someone who's both, both my parents got COVID-19 and they're both, uh, they're both doing well now. Um, so, and, 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 the, yeah. and they develop a, uh, 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 they develop also uh, T cell and antibodies. So uh, for them now, it's like if they had the, the vaccine, because you can have herd immunity with people that decided to have the vaccine and other people that had COVID-19. So and that's why we we are building herd immunity. 
So it's important. And I think we are there at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, yeah, breaking down the stats, like you said, a 99.95% survival rate. We always get accused of being kind of callous and like, oh, but people are still dying from it, right? Um, I got into a conversation with friends recently um, and they're very worried about their kids and understandably, right? Of course, people worry about their kids. Um, but at the same time, especially in British Columbia, there's a higher likelihood of a, of a child passing away in a car accident than from COVID-19 right now. We've had, I think, I think one death in a year and a half uh, under, um, under age 20. Um, and so what would you say to those people who are, who are not looking at stats and living with fear? Has the media contributed to that, do you think? Oh, yeah, the propaganda from the media was huge. And, but we must say that we have the science on our side. Uh, they were saying in the beginning that they were following the science. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, the, the COVID-19 lockdowns and, and curfew and stay at home was an experiment and a failed experiment. Mm -hmm. For the first time in the history of the world, uh, they use uh, lockdowns to kill a virus. And uh, there's other way to, to deal with it. Like I said, a herd immunity. Uh, but we have the science on our side. Look, they were telling us in the beginning, oh, no mask, it's perfect. Now one mask, now two masks, <laughs> and now no mask. And so right. they don't have the science. And, and people must understand that. It's why I, I hope that people won't, will be able to have a discussion based on the data and the science. And I believe that reason will prevail. But I don't know when, but if everybody is, <laughs> everybody is uh, doing their, their own research and, and looking at the data, they will be able to convince a lot of other uh, Canadians on, on, on our point of view. Mm -hmm. And speaking to the lockdowns, you had some personal experience with uh, lockdown rules. Uh, you were arrested a couple months ago. <laughs> uh, tell me about that experience. And that It was bizarre to see a mainstream Canadian politician uh, getting arrested for something like that. So let us know how that experience was. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't expect that. You know, I have the uh, constitutional right to travel across this country. Mm -hmm. And uh, before being in Manitoba, uh, the uh, the premier of that province and also the head of the Manitoba Health Department said that if I'm go if I'm going to to Manitoba I will have to quarantine uh, for 15 days and the premier said you know my my wallet will be emptier or something like that in a press conference that was a political repression so mm -hmm. I decided to go I said it is my constitutional right to travel across this country. So I did a, a small get together with the executive of my riding association outside in a park, social distancing. We were about, about eight persons there. And after that, um, I was the only one who received the tickets and, and they, they, uh, they handcuffed me, uh, put me in jail for a non-crime just after a post called gathering. I was there for about 10 hours and uh, their goal was to stop me. They didn't want me to have a big rally that uh, had been planned in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, so they were successful for that. But I can tell you that uh, I will be back in Manitoba. And like I said to the police, that when he arrested me, uh, when he asked me the question about if I have any weapons, uh, you know, I'm a politician. I don't travel with weapons. Uh, and so that's why I said, you know, no, only my words, only my philosophy. And uh, what I'm doing right now 
I'm using my words as my weapons. And I'm asking every Canadian to do that. Use your words as your weapons and we will win that war on ideas. And it's too important. We need to do a common sense revolution in this country because common sense is not that common these days. So we need to change that. And I call that an ideological revolution. So if, uh, if, if the, the minority that is for freedom in this country uh, stand up and speak out and use their words as their weapons, we will win that battle. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, I remember my wife and I saw that clip online of you getting arrested and, and your response, uh, do you have any weapons on you? Only my words. Uh, and then you got arrested and I was like, that's pretty rock and roll for a politician. So I appreciated that. And uh, yeah, I know I know that story endeared you to a lot of people. Um, just someone who's willing to stand up for their convictions, even to going to prison as a, as a mainstream politician. So um, kudos to you. Um, so... You've been an outspoken critic of identity politics. Um, so maybe for the average Canadian who doesn't know the term identity politics or, or what that means, um, what is identity politics and why should we be on guard against it? Yeah, identity politics, uh, racial politics, uh, pandering to special interest group, it's all the same. It's uh, politicians that uh, look at us Canadians as uh, not Canadians, but being part of, of a tribes, being, being, you know, they try to put us in a little box and saying, you know, you're a black Canadian, so we must do something special for you. Like, for example, the Trudeau government uh, uh, implemented a new program for only black entrepreneurs. It's discrimination. We, we, if we have a, a program, if we must have a program, for entrepreneurs, it must be for all entrepreneurs. So they're doing racial politics and I'm against that. And so, so it's not, you know, in our society, in a democratic society, everybody must be equal before the law. We must not have discrimination, but now the government is doing that. And so that's why uh, I like what uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said in, in, uh, in, in, in the 50s that, you know, don't, don't judge my kids by the color of their skin, but by their character. And that's, that's what uh, I'm doing as a politician. Uh, I'm not judging people by the color of their skin, but Trudeau is doing that. Uh, and the mainstream media also are playing that game. We're supposed to be uh, not proud to be Canadians because, uh, because of our past. And this country is supposed to be a, a racist country, a systemic racism supposed to be here in Canada. And I said no to that, that there's no systemic racism in this country. The only systemic racism that we, we have is the Indian Act. That act, that legislation is based on race. It is a racist act and we must abolish that. But yes, some people can be racist, like in every country, uh, but the society, uh, we must be proud. And I was proud to be Canadian. I was in Ottawa the 1st of July, celebrating uh, our history, celebrating our heritage. Um, but I was the only one, the only leader of a national party. So that's why I said, I think it was uh, three years ago, that for me, uh, there's no political correctness. I won't play that game. I'm speaking and telling the truth and based on facts. And if you like it, I hope you vote for us. If not, you know, you have uh, four other others, political parties that you can vote for and do it. Uh, I won't pander to you to try to have your vote. 
Uh, I'll give you another example. I was in Northern uh, Ontario uh, recently and uh, I did an interview with CTV and they said, okay, uh, <clears throat> what will you do for people living in this riding? I said, nothing special. You know, I, will, I won't do anything <laughs> special for your people, for people living in another riding. My policies are good for every Canadian living all across this country. Yeah. So what I will do for them, I will first of all uh, uh, say no to mass immigration and having sustainable immigration. I will uh, repeal all the bills uh, that Trudeau uh, is putting forward and, and try to censor our population. I believe in free speech. I'll do that. I'll stop all these lockdowns, uh, draconian measures. So we have a platform for all Canadians, for every Canadian, and uh, that's why that's not pandering. But Trudeau right now and O'Toole, they are crossing the country and giving money that we don't have uh, to buy votes. We we are not in that business to buy votes. If you want, uh, I hope you support us. And uh, and my goal, uh, I'm asking you to vote for your values because I believe that a lot of Canadians believe in individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect, and fairness. And that's that's our way to do politics. We are doing politics differently. And that's why this movement will grow from 1.6%. And actually, for our first year, 1.6%, it took 20 years and six elections for the Green Party of Canada wow. to have more than that. And we did that in our first year. And I can tell you that the second election, we will grow that. And, and uh, the freedom fighters will have a voice in Ottawa. The PPC will be there. Excellent. No, that's great to hear. It's great to hear. Um, kind of branching off like identity politics and national identity, um, uh, I think you wrote spoken about Justin Trudeau quoted saying there is no core identity, no mainstream in Canada, um, concluding that he sees Canada as the first what he calls post-national state. Um, so, Mr. Bernier, what does it mean to be Canadian, in your opinion, and what comprises our national identity? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have a national identity, and I'm very proud to be Canadian. And to be Canadian is a person that believes in freedom, uh, equality before the law, equality between men and women. Uh, a Canadian uh, believes in the Charter of Rights, and uh, and that's why you know did, Canada is a distant country with a with a real core identity, but we may have a, a different culture. Uh, I'll explain that you know the culture of uh, the Quebecers uh, is different than the culture in Alberta, but that's our country, and, and we must celebrate that. I don't want to celebrate every distinctions. I want to celebrate what unites us, and that's part of our heritage history. So, uh, and you know, Canada is one of the freest country uh, in the world, and uh, that's why a lot of people want to come here uh, and, and to be Canadian. And for me, it's a privilege to be Canadian. And yes, we are open to immigration, but not to mass immigration. And we want to be sure that people who, uh, who will come here will share our Canadian values, our freedom values. And that's why we want to have fewer immigrants, 150,000 a year. We want to have an interview with them. We want to ask them questions about their values. And, uh, and we want more immigrants that will come uh, because immigration, the, our immigration policy must be there to fulfill our economic needs in our country. And we need to have more skilled immigrants 
uh, and, and fewer uh, refugees and absolutely fewer uh, fake refugees that are crossing the border in my own province in Quebec illegally and, and telling uh, that they are refugees. And I'm sorry for me if you're coming from the state of, of New York, your life is not in danger there and you're not a refugee. So we must, uh, we must do our own immigration law here in Canada and not following what the UN uh, wants to tell us with their uh, UN compact on migration. But the conservative, the liberals, and all these uh, establishment political parties are all the same on immigration in the UN. And for us, I believe in a Canadian sovereignty and uh, we must not have any uh, uh, interference with the UN or order on, or another uh, international organization. Uh, we are a free and sovereign country and uh, the policies must be uh, made here in Canada for Canadians. So we, that, that's, that's why immigration would be important in our platform. And, and uh, I'm asking uh, uh, Canadians to have a look at it. And because if we have 400,000 immigrants a year, after two years, it will be the population of New Brunswick. So you will add a new New Brunswick in Canada every two years. And the majority of them, 75% of them, will be uh, people coming under reunification of family or uh, refugees. Only 26% of them uh, are actually skilled immigrants that are helping us to build this, this country. So that's why we must have that discussion. And having that discussion at the same time, you, are, uh, you, want, to, you want these immigrants to know uh, that we are a nation and, and we, we have a, a culture and identity. And I hope they will uh, come and, and share that uh, and become Canadians. Yeah. No, excellent. There, yeah, there seems to be a, a real popular push for uh, globalism and like a like a world's um, community, um, which sounds kind of nice in in theory, but in practice it doesn't seem to work. And you have obviously you mentioned Canada losing sovereignty to things like the UN, um, which is more of a globalist agenda, right? Um, so how do we how do we communicate as conservatives that ha being a nation state, independent and, and sovereign? Uh, and furthermore, even to go down to the provinces, like in the U.S., you have federalism where the states are very independent governments um, and they, they, they often kick back against the federal government. Um, how do we communicate how a local governance is, is really important to hold on to um, as opposed to pushing further and further to more federal power or more globalist power? Yeah. Uh, again, I like your question because... Uh, it allows me to show to your viewers that on that question, we are also the only political party that is fighting against globalism and these globalists. Uh, for example, uh, we don't want the UN to impose their uh, uh, environment, environmental uh, agenda. We are against the Paris Accord uh, and we want to impose a carbon tax. We want to impose more regulation to fight uh, the clim climate change. So contrary to the conservative and the liberals and all these other political parties, we won't do that. So that's an international organization that tried to uh, push their agenda here in Canada. And up to now, they are successful. Uh, same thing on, I said, migration compact. Um, the same thing on the multi-extreme, multi, -extreme, multi uh, You know, uh, the UN 
uh, have in mind a, a world where, where every country will be open with, with no borders and everybody will be able to go to uh, different countries. Uh, no, you know, a country is a country with a core identity and we must be able to select our immigrants. So we won't let these uh, global, uh, global organizations to influence our politics here. And that's why I said the UN is a dysfunctional organization because there's about 196 countries um, and the big majority of them are communist country, uh, countries under dictatorship and the Western uh, countries don't have the majority. So, so we don't want to uh, give money to the UN, to these uh, dictatorships. So that's why we review the, the budget that the federal government is giving to the UN for being sure that all money is going supporting a project that in line that are in line with our values so but also i must say that we are for uh, free trade free trade and globalism is not the same we believe in more free trade people must be able to buy goods and services and uh, without any tariff so uh, it's a great that, distinction that's yeah that's an important distinction but uh, globalism is, uh, is the, the view that an international organization uh, uh, know better than, uh, than our own uh, country and our own uh, politician here, and they are imposing their vision. A little bit like uh, the EU. Uh, you know, I'm very happy that UK decided not to be part of the EU anymore because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of important policies were decided uh, at Bruxelles and they, want, they wanted to have their sovereignty back. So we won't give our sovereignty to these international organizations. And uh, so I think that's important. But the other party wants to have a discussion and, uh, and, and, and they, they believe in the same ideology. And these organizations, their main ideology is socialism. So uh, I'm not a socialist. I believe in people. I have faith in people. So, and the, I know that the best government is the government that is near the people. Uh, that's why we believe in the, uh, a huge decentralization in Canada, giving more autonomy to provincial uh, governments and mm. also to, uh, to Canadians. So the federal government will be smaller, you will respect the constitution, respect taxpayers and respect provincial jurisdiction. So uh, to, to be in line with that principle, we call that subsidiarity. That, that principle of the best government is the government near the people. So municipalities, uh, province, provincial governments, and federal government. So, and our constitution was written in line with that principle of subsidiarity. So give more autonomy, give more uh, power and, and, uh, and responsibility to uh, local governments. And don't try to harmonize everything at the federal level. That's, off, that, that's our constitution. And that's what uh, we are uh, um, arguing for and in our platform for a better country. Yeah, uh, Mr. Vernier, you notice me smiling during that just because um, it's so rare to hear a politician say something like decentralization and limiting government power that um, I'm trying very hard to be objective because I, uh, <laughs> um, I generally distrust politicians and I mean no offense by that. Um, but even to hear a politician talking about uh, shrinking government power and decentralizing government power um, is incredibly refreshing because you don't hear any other politicians even talking about it. Um, whether or not they fulfill those promises or not. And I hope you get in a position where 
where you are able to fulfill those promises. Um, but you, you, you're not you're not the only one that uh, didn't <laughs> trust a politician. Actually, a long time ago, I had a, a short discussion with Jordan Peterson, and Jordan told me, Excellent. Maxime, you know that I don't like politicians, but uh, you're the best of the worst uh, politicians. So for me, <laughs> I, I, I believe it was a compliment. Right on. Yeah, I'm actually I'm, I'm reading his uh, his second book right now. I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson. Excellent for sure. Do you make your bed every morning, Mr. Bernier? Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's a good sign. That's a good sign. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, I tend to talk about, and my friends think I'm crazy for doing this, but I tend to talk about socialism and communism pretty frequently. Um, because I think they're more of a concern than than a lot of Canadians and Americans realize in today's world. Um, and I'm, I'm, I wonder why socialism and communism don't have the same anathema towards them as, as something like, like fascism or Nazism, right? Um, when you look at the death tolls in, in socialist and communist countries, why don't we have, why is there like a popular resurgence uh, in support of those ideals? Um, so what are your thoughts on socialism, communism? Um, what's the danger in Canada and uh, how much should we care about it? Yeah, um, I don't like what I'm seeing right now especially with the influence of China and the Chinese Communist Party here in our country. Mm. That's real. And, uh, for example, you know, the Canadian government is helping the, the Chinese Communist Army to, uh, for their training here in Canada. We must not do that. Um, and, mm. uh, and, you know, we fought communism uh, the last century, uh, and now that's coming back slowly but surely. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I have a friend that is on the board of a university in Alberta, and he had a discussion during a board meeting about the influence of China. And his goal was to um, the, was to have a decision from the board to ask uh, their professors to do more research on the influence of China and and being able to have more more data on that. And after a discussion, the chair of the board said no. Wow. Because that university received funding from the Chinese Communist Party. Wow. So we must stop that. That must be illegal. And, and, and the influence is everywhere. You know, in university, um, now they, they are controlling the socialists and communists are controlling the university with the woke culture. Culture, it's, it, it's a Marxism. So uh, we don't have journalists anymore. We have uh, socialists or leftist activists. Uh, actually, when I'm traveling across the country, I have a better neutral coverage by the local newspaper than mm -hmm. by uh, CTV or, 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 or the Global Mail or all these uh, national uh, uh, traditional media. So, so they're everywhere in school, everywhere. So that's why the fight is important. Um, after a couple of years now, they control everything that is important in this country, media, politics, mm -hmm. university. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but uh, that's why, you know, that fight is, is important. And, uh, and we must also explain a little bit our history and the history of the 20th century. Uh, you know, when you have a leader like uh, uh, Jack Mead that is saying that, you know, uh, Castro was the best uh, rev revolutionary <laughs> and the best leader is a murder, murder, a yeah. communist murder. And this guy, you know, 
put uh, on a on a podium Fidel Castro. Uh, no, people must remember the history, and uh, and we are doing that fight. You can count on us. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. Um, yeah, you touched on on legacy media there. Uh, it feels like it's getting harder and harder to find uh, like good reporting and fact based reporting. Where do you think? Where do you get your news? And where should Canadians? What's the best way for Canadians to be like well informed? You know, I, I, my best advice for Canadians: uh, turn er, turn off your TV, uh, <laughs> and that that will help first. And yeah. I'm I'm looking at my news on the internet, and uh, you know, I'm doing my own research, and uh, you know, I'm not watching news anymore uh, since a long time uh, because uh, it's a, a propaganda machine. And actually, at least in US, they have CNN and Fox News. But here we have only socialist uh, mainstream media, uh, you know, CBC, Radio Canada in French, CTV, they are all the same. So I'm I'm not watching uh, news uh, TV. So I'm looking to find my news on on social media and um, that I can trust, some website that I can trust. So, so yes, you're right, saying that the influence and because Trudeau bailed out the media, uh, CBC a billion dollar and that uh, special fund for the media, and and uh, you know we want the media to be independent from the government, but now they are dependent, and with all the ad and the COVID nineteen ad that uh, uh, all uh, every government uh, provincial and and the federal one spend a lot of money on advertising on COVID-19 and uh, and the media were very happy. So that's another uh, reason why you don't have the other point of view in these uh, mainstream media. Uh, the government control the media. And for us as a political party, we will cut all that, we will save a lot of money. And the media will have a CTV, CBC, will have to find their fundings uh, with their viewers. So if they're good and their viewers uh, like it, they, they, they will have a lot of money. If not, they will go bankrupt. We call that a capitalist system. Mm-hmm. So that will be that. And that's the best way to fight uh, that leftist narrative. Yeah, no, totally. Actually, I wanted to talk to you. I love that you touched on uh, free market capitalism there. Because um, I know, yeah, you've, you've been a huge supporter of free markets. Um, we have sort of like a Canadian cartel system with like supply management and stuff like that, um, taxpayer-funded corporate bailouts, things like that. Um, so, how would you make? How do you make the case for free market capitalism in in what you've called an increasingly socialist country, right? Um, and I'm interested specifically in in the moral case for capitalism because you hear a lot of um, a lot of leftists and academia. They always accuse capitalism of being um, this greedy, just purely for profit system that just exploits people. So, what's the moral case for free market capitalism? Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, time is running on my side. I have okay. another interview in three minutes, so I will answer okay. that question very quickly. Sure. And yeah. maybe we can have another interview a little bit later. But that. for me, uh, for me, capitalism, it's all about people. And that's why we have faith in people. We believe that you know better what is good for you. And, uh, and you know, if a corporation uh, is making profit, is because they are giving something to consumers that they want. Nobody is forced to buy something. Mm-hmm. So when you have a corporation that is profitable because that corporation is giving services to their clients 
and and the more competition we have, the more new ideas we have. Usually, the prices are going down. So, competition, free markets, uh, people. You know, uh, the government uh, is the problem. The government is not the solution. People are the people uh, are the solution for the challenges that we are having in our society. That's why one of the uh, principle, uh, funding principle of our party is individual freedom. Uh, the, we believe in sovereignty, but uh, and we believe we must protect minority. But the the tiniest minority is the individual. So when you're doing that, you you we we are ba- we when we when we do politics and with all our policy, we base that on the individual. That's why we will have a smaller government. But capitalism is the best system that we have, maybe not a perfect one. So, um, you know, that's not a civil servant who invent uh, uh, the internet. That, that's the capitalist people. And uh, we, can, we can have more technology, more ideas, uh, and a better uh, way of life. And uh, so that's why I'm, I want to always uh, Put my uh, my belief in people and not in a big fat government. And for your viewers, if you want to know more about uh, capitalism, um, uh, I can tell them that uh, the best website for that is uh, Mises Institute, Mises.org, and um, and they will. There's a big website, and that's uh, mostly based on, on economy uh, and uh, Australian economy. But um, it's the best way to understand uh, the economy and the capitalist system. Yeah, I'll, link to, I'll have to link to that for viewers. So um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So thank you so much, Mr. Maxime Bernier. It's been an absolute pleasure. I super appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much again for being on and look forward to having you back. So ha- oh. and he's gone. <laughs> there you go. Well, that was Maxime Bernier. Um, what a fun opportunity and a privilege to talk to, uh, yeah, someone running for, for leadership in our country. Um, that was so much fun to pick his brain. And uh, what I really appreciate about him is obviously I agree with a lot of what he says and hold the same positions. Um, but I appreciate someone who knows what they stand for and can defend it as eloquently as, as he does. Um, I, I really enjoyed getting to pick his brain for that long. And uh, I hope you did as well. Um, so as always, thank you so much for listening share the podcast especially this one i think this one's really fun when this one when someone um running for office it's so important to to get the word out about what people's options are so i think um that that was a really content rich um kind of deep dive into a lot of subjects there so um i think this is a really informative um this is a really informative session uh, with somebody running for office so share as much as you can especially if you agree and you uh, think these ideals and values are important uh, as i do um because first of all, sharing the podcast helps the podcast out a lot, and I super appreciate that. Uh, but it also helps spreading these ideas. Like you said, we need to practice what we preach. Um, we need to be out there using our free speech and using um, using our ideas and values uh, as much as we can um, in practice um, because they're important. And I think um, we want to have the ability to shape where our country is headed um, when we see it. A lot of us see it heading in, in not so great directions like we touched on today. Um, so spread it for that reason. I think Canada appreciates um, spreading ideals that are important and, uh, and, and what conservatism actually means. So much love as always. Um, have a great day. Check out the website, hamlockpodcast.com. 
cop some swag, <laughs> cop some merch, um, which helps support the podcast. That means a ton. The based water bottle. These are now in. They're available for All Access members um, who have annual subscriptions. Um, it comes free with every annual All Access subscription, which means you get exclusive content and mailbag questions and weekly live hangouts and a whole bunch of good stuff because I love hanging out with you guys and, uh, and you can pick my brain and we can just have a chat and hang out because I love hanging out. So um, check out the website, share the podcast, and as always, much love, y'all. Have a good one. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's Hemlock Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends and family. Tell them to subscribe because if you loved it, then they're going to love it too, obviously. Also, head over to iTunes to leave us a five-star rating and review. That helps us a lot with the charts. And if you're not going to leave us five stars, then forget about it. Don't worry about it and enjoy the rest of your day. Lastly, head on over to the hemlockpodcast.locals.com to become a supporter and receive access to exclusive content and ad-free versions of the Hemlock Podcast. Love you so much for listening. Let's continue to ride out this increasingly insane world with irreverence and joy. This is your host, Patrick Jolliker, and bye. Much love, y'all. Peace.